What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. On this show, we interview a bunch of recovering addicts, a lot of people with cool stories. We've done a Holocaust survivor. We've done a bunch of personal friends of mine. And we do anyone who has a story of redemption, hope, people who have survived hell, you know. Today is an episode that a lot of people have been asking me for. So when I told my story, I always mentioned my boy Jeremy that I was using with. Jeremy, you're like one of the only people I was close to when I was using. Like everyone else just got robbed. <laughs> everyone else just got like robbed and skimped. But like you and I were like, I remember just waking up every day and we would just be like, 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 what are we doing today? Like every single day for for years, you know, trying to come up with ways and means to get more. And bro, over the years, like I've seen you struggle. I've seen you live a, a life that that mirrors what I would imagine my life would have been like if I had kept using. Looking back at everything I've been through, the one thing I can say is there's not many real relationships that are built through addiction. Mm -hmm. There's not many real friends that you can look back and say, I got high with this guy, but at the same time, he was my friend. With you, it started on a level as how can we, we both saw potential. We both saw like this guy has access to this and this kid has access mm -hmm. to that. And with you being younger, but so intelligent, I was like, this can work for both of us. <laughs> yeah. It, it, was a, it, was it was a symbiotic, symbiotic yeah, it was a symbiotic relationship. It was something that you can't really put a definition to because it really isn't anything at first, but because our addiction was so strong, it developed that dependency and we were both always able to carry each the other, other through yeah. the addiction. We were the, we were the perfect example of, uh, one addict helping another. Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> exactly. We, we, we were the people that they tell you aren't really your friends. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and you know what, like an active addiction, like you don't really have that many friends. And then when you get really bad, people start like pushing you away. But I remember like, even when we would use like, I could tell that you were really smart. 
I remember being like, wow, like, the germ- we'd be talking about, like, dark matter and stuff. Like, <laughs> high, with, with a needle down my arm. I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel the dark matter. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, bro. It, I mean, it, it ended up, it, it was one of those things, though, because, like you said, anybody could get robbed. Anybody could have been the next victim. It depended mm-hmm. how sick or how sad or how pathetic it was. Between me and you, there were times where I'd have one left. Yeah. And... You would call and be flipping out, and we knew that we just had to wait till tomorrow. We just had to get to tomorrow. And I remember, like, but I'd sneak out and drive over and meet you, and it was just like I told the story for nothing, but at the same time, it meant everything to each of us because you would have done the same, and you had on multiple occasions. I remember when, uh, bro, I was so fucked. My probation officer showed up to my house to do a surprise drug test, and I was just like. What the fuck am I gonna do? And I'm in the bathroom. I'm texting you. I'm like, bro, you gotta bring piss to my house. And I remember you were like, oh, nonchalant. You're like, I'm at work. I'm like, bro, I need you to come now. And you're like, fuck, do I have to save your ass again? And I remember just being like, bro, please bring piss to my house. And it's crazy because it's like when I was using piss was just like another constant thing, you know. Yeah, and uh, I remember you were like, well, it's frozen. I have to de. Yeah, <laughs> you always have it on stash. <laughs> yeah, I remember you were like, bro, it's frozen. I had to prep this. For I'll you, never bro. forget. Get like I couldn't pee. I, I was saying I couldn't pee and I was just waiting. And then lo and behold, you texted me, you're like, it's there. And like I opened up the windowsill and there was like clean urine, just like saved the day. And I poured it into the <laughs> cup and I got it warm with like the hot sink water on the cup. And the lady tested it and she's like, he's clean. And I was like, fuck yeah, I told you all motherfuckers. And I yeah. threw it in their face. And then we got wasted. And then we got <laughs> fucked. Yeah, and then we fucking got high as fuck. Where does your story start? You Have you lived in the house in Davies? Did you grew yeah. up there? Well, I was born in North Miami. It's a hospital that ain't even there no more. Mm-hmm. My parents have uh, been together since 71, 72-ish. Yeah, so I grew up out in West Davie off Shotgun Road. It was one of those places where when I was really young, it was pretty much out there. It was the boondocks, dirt roads, cow pastures. The occasional cross burning in the field because it's just (laughs) West Davy at that time. And I had a pretty amazing childhood. I mean, not many people that have struggle stories start off with that sort of a statement, Mm -hmm. but I did. I mean, my family was there, my mother's side, my father's side. I spent a lot of time in Carroll City when I was younger because the family, you know, both parents working Mm -hmm. in the beginning. Everybody did their part. My grandparents would watch me. School was never really a bad kid, or it never got caught. Yeah, I mean, there was always my moments, but <laughs> for the most part, middle school, socially awkward. Mm-hmm. You know, did skating and wore the baggy Jenko jeans. Yeah, stuff that looked like a skirt if you wear it nowadays. <laughs> but it all uh, pretty much changed in high school. You know, I learned the hard knocks early, but high school is when uh, the social dynamic takes over. And you're no longer just fitting in with your little group. There's a bigger mm-hmm. dynamic at play. There's And there's so there's, many other groups. Yeah, yeah, there's the social groups. There's the what you're actually doing. There's the if you're involved in sports or if you're not good at sports. Or My niche was always knowing somebody from everywhere. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend likes to poke me. And the fact that I, my favorite saying is I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> she needs something done. Somebody needs something done. I know a guy. Mm-hmm. I might not be the one to always do it, but I know somebody. Yeah. It started in high school. Because of everything I've been through, you come up with that, you know, you, you self-diagnose. It just comes back from the be the man syndrome. Mm-hmm. In high school, I learned real fast that it wasn't about making yourself popular. It was about putting yourself around people that... Mm-hmm 
eventually are going to think you're popular just because they see you everywhere. Yeah, that's just of how the word the world is back. Mm-hmm. It, the cliques and the groups and the everything. But I could get along with everyone. Yeah, I, I was intelligent in school and in good classes, and never was the person that didn't have something to say either. Mm-hmm. All of that ended me in my addiction. Yeah. In my addiction, all of that confidence and success is in the end what destroys you. Mm-hmm. High school, I started you know, experimenting with things. The one thing that you learn real fast is everybody smokes pot. Mm -hmm. So if you smoke a little pot, you know, you could be more popular. Mm -hmm. People will accept you. And then you sell pot and you're the man. And then the way my (laughs) brain works, of course, well, if I sell it, they need me. Mm -hmm. The second they need you, pretty much when you control the relationship. Yeah, you have the power. Yeah, it's like the number one, if there was a book of dominance, Mm -hmm. the first thing would be establish control. Mm Mm-hmm. All I really wanted was attention and Mm -hmm. friends or what I thought the definition of friends were. Mm -hmm. What I ended up getting was a crash course in how not to really make true friends. Yeah, Yeah, and like when you get involved in the drug game, you start to uh, see people's, you start to see like the snake in everybody and you start to see like the fakeness in people and you start to like hate people and you start to like calculate your moves and you start to like, you know I, what everybody you know. won't admit about that? I'll, I'll totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. The second you get into the drug game, you're either A, a buyer, or B, a seller. Or a broker. And, or, or a broker, <laughs> but, but that, that goes into seller still, yeah, too, because yeah. you're on the profitable end. Some people are content with just buying drugs and getting high. Yeah. Some people see those people getting content with that, and they're like, well, man, I could charge this guy $350 for something that cost me $150, and mm-hmm. that's a come up anytime I mm-hmm. see it. And they don't mind doing it, and they got no aspect to expand or do anything different. Mm -hmm. Other people see that, and it's sadly, that becomes an addiction, the selling the drugs. Mm -hmm. I I can say that propagated most of my first unhealthy addiction. And ingrains criminal thinking. Well, criminal thinking and, and that disassociated behavior is always there in one sense or the other. It's whether or not you run the red light and hope that there's not a camera that catches you Mm -hmm. or when you pass that state trooper on the highway, but you're going 78, but everybody else is doing, you know, over. So you think you're good. It it goes to a different level once you're into the drug game, because Mm -hmm. the more you get away with something, the more comfortable with it you are. Yeah, because now it's like, bro, if someone brought drugs in my car, I'd be like, get the fuck out of my car. But Because you know the immediate, what the consequences could Mm be. When you're younger... You've heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People told you that it's not a good idea. People, yeah, it's like you a know, theory. you might have a cousin that got arrested and then mm-hmm. you're 14 and he's telling you about it. And you're like, this guy's crazy anyway, because you see him at family things and yeah. you're like, he's nuts. Yeah. But you, you don't have that understanding. of Yeah. It. And you're not aware of what you're doing is going to impact your life. Because yep. there was times where I'd be like, I sold a lot of coke before I did a lot of other drugs. Mm-hmm. And there was times where it's like, dude, you get two trafficking cocaine charges. You might do five years for that. Yeah. Even if it's fucking an eight ball or a quarter or whatever. I, I had before I even knew what I had. I had a friend that had gotten me a thousand Xanax mm-hmm. in in a container. Now. <laughs> you can't get that from a doctor. There's no prescription that gives you a bottle as big as a freaking <laughs> yeah. OE bottle. And, yeah. and I didn't put any sort of thought to that. But each one of those pills carried a sentence. And, and, mm-hmm. and at that time, it was even stricter. Xanax, you know, nowadays. And ecstasy even. Mm-hmm. Ecstasy. I, there's times where people carrying yeah. around 200, 300 200 of them. Of, and they're yeah. just in the back seat. And I'm not saying or thinking nothing. Yeah. When I was in high school, 
I mean, just to give you perspective, I had an amazing schedule. I showed up mm-hmm. since 11th grade at about a half hour after the school bell already rang. Mm-hmm. I would just drive in. The guard would wave to me. It was one of the wrestling coaches. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I would leave at 10 o'clock because I had an amazing class called OJT. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I was pretty much at school only two hours a day. Yeah. And Davey was a good old boy place. I mean, yeah. if you were any sort of athlete at Western High School, you could just do whatever, do whatever you wanted. And it's just like, you know, like like four-wheeling and like lifted yeah. trucks. And like, it's weird because there would be like, you know, like thugged out kids that lived in like the trailer parks. And you'd have like the surfer kids in Shenandoah. And then you'd have like the redneck kids and like, you know. We had our own definition of burrows, but it was all within our little section. <laughs> yeah. And because we were so close but to everybody the beach was and cool the woods. With everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was always that. Each group had their problems at times. Mm-hmm. I mean, mostly it was uh, ethnical divides. It was yeah. Spanish versus yeah. rednecks. and Of course. Sadly, there were a lot of black rednecks. So the Spanish people were always outgunned <laughs> and outnumbered. Yeah. They, they didn't carry the weight that they carried down south. I I remember uh, pulling up in like my mom's Mercedes to like a party. There was like a huge. I don't remember they used to have like those insane parties in like the Acre Homes or whatever mm-hmm. with like fucking slip and slides and they like catering. Oh, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. You're talking about the one with uh-huh. the slip and slide. Yeah. And I remember, uh, I remember I pulled up once and like all these redneck kids were like, "That's your car," and they're all laughing at me, and I was so embarrassed to have that car. Yeah, you don't even know. You're like, damn, my mom's car is like a hundred grand, yeah. <laughs> and the rednecks are looking at their twenty thousand dollar jacked Truck. up trucks. Yeah, they're, they're like, what the fuck? You know, you're, you don't belong here. <laughs> yeah, they're like, that's your car, you fucking loser. But the great thing was, it wasn't <clears> about <throat> what any of that, because the second you would get in and somebody would introduce they're you, as long cool. as you knew somebody, yeah. they 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 didn't prejudge by that. A lot of it was all just jokes and fun. Yeah. Yeah, Davey, but it was cool. Davy was the type of place that when I would get angry before my addiction, my release was to just get on my four-wheeler and go as fast as I could down the streets at night, just flip out, do wheelies, and if I if you piss me off, I'm going to show up in your driveway and do donuts to yeah. piss your parents off. <laughs> your mailbox might get exploded <laughs> with, with a firework or a baseball yeah. bat. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was that kind of place because we were just allowed to do a lot more than kids nowadays we'll just put it that way yeah this is a lot longer leash all right so you uh you hurt yourself on a four-wheeler yeah i uh i had gotten in an accident pretty much about uh i want to say i was 17 and i hurt myself pretty bad tore a muscle in my shoulder and the doctors decided to put me on roxy's as a pain management how old were you? I was 17 at the time. Wow. Now, they didn't initially put me on them. They were giving me Percocets at first, and then I turned 18 through the process of, mm-hmm. of the recovery, and the orthopedic was recommending that I wait to do surgery because mm-hmm. I was so young. So being an intelligent individual as I thought I was, I mean, recklessness aside, mm-hmm. I, I felt I was Pretty sufficiently yeah. uh, sufficiently intelligent to understand what I was being told mm-hmm. and trusting enough to believe what the physician was saying was mm-hmm. in my best interest. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, 20 years later, after the media has been propagating the opium, opium pandemic for the past 10 years now, I feel lied to. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> but that, that that's irrelevant. The the story went its way regardless and uh, I was I was put on a pain management and once I became addicted without even knowing it, just taking it by prescription, orally based, mm-hmm. it set everything off. Now, I already had addictive tendencies and qualities. That's obviously something that is somewhat genetic and somewhat socially based, but mm-hmm. this kick-started it. Yeah, yeah, because I remember, 
I think I met you like probably a year, a couple of years I, after Right after that. I came back from college. You met me when I think I was 19 or 20. Wow. I had just gotten with Dana. I knew yeah, that. So yeah. it was in the I first remember, year. I remember she introduced me to you because I remember I was at some party. And I had met Dana because we both got kicked out of school mm-hmm. and we were like forced to go to like some fucking. Yeah, because when I first started dating her, shit. she was still in high school. Yeah. So I remember meeting Dana and Dana was like asking me if I could get greens and like mm-hmm. Oxy 80s. And I was like, yeah. And you're like, oh, my boyfriend wants one. And I remember like, you know, I hopped in your truck and like I gave you some and you're like, how the fuck do you have Oxy? Because not a lot of people were doing them. Yep. Like yeah. most kids around that time were like doing, especially in your classes, because like oh, it, had no... just, it had just hit like my social <laughs> yeah. group. So. Nobody was doing on my age. Yeah, I you remember know? when you got expelled. That's <laughs> later on. So <laughs> I remember, um, you know, I thought I was so cool. I had like seven oxy eighties on me, and I remember I sold you two, and uh, you're like, "How the fuck do you have oxy eighties?" Mm-hmm. And that's how we met. I remember just like instantly, it was just like this, you know, friendship of like coffin and whatever it, it was be- mutually beneficial to begin with but yeah. but once each of us understood the the true potential mm-hmm. of each other and our own individual situations because i always had a ride yeah. i always had means of of getting where we needed to go or setting things up and then even in your case you had opportunities mm-hmm. that you needed somebody to pick you up yeah, somebody so to be I the remember, muscle yeah somebody to yeah, do I remember, some, some i remember <laughs> We'd like need a drug, and you'd be like, "Fuck!" And I'm like, "Oh, I know someone that has that." And you'd be like, "How do you? How do you have all these drugs? Yeah, you know, how do yeah, you have all yeah. these well, connect?" But what ended up the 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 wonder was I never really cared at the yeah. end. It, it it never mattered how. And a lot of people in those situations get so suspicious as yeah. to the how. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about that. I wanted to come up with a solution that benefited us both For because sure. that was the only outcome when you're an addict. And you were the one person that was like down, like. I would like have a plan and I'd like pitch it to somebody and they'd just be like, no, bro, that looks like 10 years in prison, you know? <laughs> and you would just be like, it looks let's like go. a good time. Yeah, let's Screw go. That. Let's do it, you know? I think you taught me how to like stake out a house. Years later, my friend's brother being like, what are you doing hanging out with Jeremy? He's my age. Mm. And I know I knew we had an age gap, but I don't think even I was aware with it, aware of it. And I don't think you even realized. I didn't acknowledge it because of the situation. I mean, you you yeah. don't ask too many questions when yeah. you've got something good going on. Yeah. It was one of those, like, if it mattered, it only mattered to other people that cared about it. Yeah, kind of yeah it was interesting. It was like, and neither did Dana. I remember Dana picking me up and I'd be like, yo, I'm at school. And she's like, I'm going to come get you. And she's like, where the fuck are you? Yeah, and, I'm and like, you're I'm, like at Western High School. Yeah, and like, she's like, oh, my God, you're in high school. Yeah, she was like, what? I thought you were at Broward College. And I was like, no, I'm like in ninth grade, you know. And a lot of times I wouldn't tell people my age. You're one of the few people that like knew how old I was. Yep. And, and you uh, used to get mad always when I'd put that shit out there, like yeah. in front of that one dude, Carlo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got in the car, you got in the car, you were so quiet afterwards. You're like, bro, I, I don't like that shit. I'm looking at you, I'm like, what the fuck? You're like, yeah, man, I, 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 I don't tell people my age. Like, I don't want people to judge me like that. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? I'm laughing because we're literally yeah. thinking about robbing him at the time. Yeah, <laughs> I remember we... I, I'm like, if anything, it's worse. He just got robbed by a high school ninth yeah. grader. Yeah. yeah, that was uh interesting times. And I remember like... There was times where like you would rob people and I would get mad at you and be like, what the fuck? Like we like I wanted to rob him with you or like I told you not to rob him. And the same thing would happen vice versa. Yep, it was definitely a, a crazy time in my life. That all the, the, the weirdest part about that is that all came after my my own experiences. Like the accident was the start of things, but I didn't go full bore into the addiction until Mm -hmm. I clicked up with a couple people that had more connects. Mm -hmm. So then it became a social thing. I started using the oxy socially. Mm -hmm. And once 
I was in a group that it was socially acceptable because in the beginning it was something I was hide I would hide mm-hmm. from people because like you said no one really mm-hmm. it wasn't the thing everywhere it's not like you see on TV now where people yeah. are just passing them around at parties yeah. if you pulled it out half the people didn't know like, what it what was the and then the other half didn't want to screw with it even if you told them and anything sn- like snorting like no one wanted to be around yeah. people snorting anything and I started not snorting it though that's what even the, the like I started orally taking wow. it and and then it just progressed until I you know obviously the the way things progress yeah. is you understand that you can go the next level and mm-hmm. what's going to make me higher and what's going to make it faster and what's mm-hmm. going to make it hit and harder you meet other people that are doing it yeah that's yeah. that's what le- leads to the needle anyway mm-hmm. i mean it, my opinion of that was you're a junkie yeah until i'm the junkie and yeah. then you're like god damn how did that happen yeah, but, yeah, but it slip, happens because you you compromise your own values and values yeah. yeah along the way i started using them and I was a very successful person, good grades in school, mm-hmm. started in automotive field when I was like 18, was doing real good, decided after a couple other events, I was in a car accident and I just thought, you know, after all the events that had occurred, my best option after being put on more medication was to get away from down here. Mm-hmm. So I moved to Tallahassee. You don't realize people, places, things actually matters Mm -hmm. until you do something like that. So it helped for a little bit, but you can't hide from yourself. So in the end, the addiction provided the opportunity and the pills came up there. And Mm -hmm. then I started moving things and my addictive tendencies. I started selling drugs up in Tallahassee and Mm -hmm. driving down here every two weeks you know, to re-up because nobody wanted the trash they sold up there and I could make triple what I paid for it. So it was just more beneficial, Mm -hmm. but it was the excitement, man. Most of my addiction is always attributed to my need for the adrenaline. The best drug, the best drug in my addiction Mm -hmm. is adrenaline. The reason I got addicted to opiates was because it shut down all of that. Mm -hmm. It, It shut down the desire, the feeling, the need, the expectation of anything. And that's what my brain wanted Mm -hmm. you know that the real high was the adrenaline but the alternative was Mm -hmm. what i could provide for myself sometimes i I, i've shared this story when i shared my story but uh yeah on the podcast but there's like stories that i have with you that are like sometimes they don't even seem real in my head like when i'm thinking to myself before i tell a story i'm like damn bro i'd totally not believe my ass Mm -hmm. (laughs) so so it changes how i want to word it because i can't even go as into detail as I want sometimes because people are like, so, yeah, that you'd be on a movie, bro, or yeah. you'd be locked up. And uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, well. I remember not telling you that I was robbing somebody because it was your connect and I knew you wouldn't want me to do this. And I robbed him with somebody else who did not know I was robbing them. So it was the typical like, hey, I got to go pick up mm-hmm. $200. I'll yep. break you off 50 bucks. The getaway driver doesn't know he's a getaway driver. Yeah, you know? that. And I remember, especially if shit goes bad. <laughs> oh, it went bad. And oh, I remember. Yeah. Anyways, we we get into like this crazy car chase. I remember I call you and I'm like, bro, I know you're gonna hate me, but I robbed someone so, and you're like, what the fuck, you robbed him? What'd you rob him for? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> of course, because once it's already done, it's done. I don't yeah. need. Uh, my brain does not work like that. And What's uh, the next benefit that can yeah. come out of this? And then I remember you were like, you're like, he's chasing you, and you're laughing. I was like, bro, he's chasing us right now, and buy your house. And you're like, I'll pick you up, but you gotta cop pills from me. And I was like, no shit, I w-. like you didn't even ask for some of the money. You just wanted me to buy some pills off you. And I was like, I'm gonna buy pills with the money anyways. Fuck yeah, like come pick me yep. up. And I remember like. I really did jump out of a moving car. Like people don't believe yeah. me. No, no. <laughs> but I remember I, picking you up. <laughs> yeah. 
I remember like the car drove down your, and I remember being like, dude, Jeremy's not here. And my boy was like, get the fuck out of my car. Get out of my car. And I jump out the car. I roll onto like the, the, the pavement and hit the grass. And I start running down the street. You told me to go on. And I'm like, dude, where the fuck is Jeremy? And then like, wah, wah, wah. I hear like your ATV, your four-wheeler. And I remember like, like I got on the back of the four-wheeler and like the other kid just disappeared and like chased him. Dude, I remember just going through like these crazy back roads of yeah. fucking of your neighborhood or whatever. Hopped in your truck. You served me up pills. But they were the white ETHs and I was so mad. Yeah, yeah. I left that out. I, I remember. I remember yeah, I, deliberately I, leaving that out. I, I, mean, remember I knew being, it would get the job done yeah. so you'd still just, you'd be okay. But. I was like, dude, I didn't want the white ones. You're like, I don't give a fuck. You said you'd buy them. I was like, bro, I don't like the white ETH Roxies. They're not the same. You're like, they're the same. And I remember just being like, no, please. Like, I'll just wait to uh, the, get real Those were, Those are the petty druggy arguments. <laughs> yeah. You're like, no, it's not the right ones. Yeah, exactly. And I, I bought them anyways yeah because then eventually mm -hmm. when you're sick as shit you don't mm -hmm. care you just want that pain to go away so yeah i remember that was a crazy story and then that kid rob got me so bad yeah and that, I, that, that was the time that i had to go pick you up yeah. once you got jumped over yeah. there off southwest ranches yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude i remember when i got i remember still ended up i had to be there but yeah yeah, and I remember, like, calling you and fucking, dude, just being covered in blood, one shoe. Oh, yeah, I remember. I wasn't even in the room. My phone was going off, and I came in the bedroom, and I saw, like, three missed calls, and then I was like, oh, man, I don't mm -hmm. even know what this is if he's calling three times, like, yeah. and I was, like, not feeling like going out, and then I finally called you back. I was like, damn it, all right, well, we're yeah. getting fucked up at least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you came and picked me up, and I remember just being, like, so fucking out of my, like, it's just feeling super defeated, but at the same time, like, I had my money in my sock and we're still able to get drugs, so I was like, fuck it, whatever. Those are the things you look back on, and, and, and that's part of my actual recovery is 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 looking back on things like that mm -hmm. and, and using them to learn from. I, I'm not one of those people that believes the past should be hidden. I don't think that you can change something by hiding the fact that it occurred. Mm -hmm. I believe truly 100% that owning all of your misgivings and, and your mistakes is truly the only way to begin to mm -hmm. even overcome your addiction. And in the steps, it's a big part of mm -hmm. coming to terms with your sobriety is acknowledging all the things you of did course. wrong. And what I use is the same method, but with different approach. Mm -hmm. And it ends up, coming down to the person submitting to criticizing themselves heavily yeah. and being their own hardest and harshest critic mm -hmm. because no one in my brain can judge me harder than I can judge myself mm -hmm. because they don't know what I'm really thinking about everything all the time. Going to college, I was very successful in everything in life prior to that. And I was even successful in college. Mm -hmm. What screwed me was my desire to keep living that kind of life mm -hmm. because I came back in uh, 2007 and that's when I met Dana. Mm -hmm. But the way I met Dana was because I had gotten arrested three times in a row within a month and a half for stupid stuff. Yeah. I mean, I got lucky. Charges were dropped. Things were, you know, pled out. But in the long term, having those cases open required me to no longer go back to college. You can't mm -hmm. sign up for courses with open cases. Really? They don't let you. I didn't yeah, know that. No, they, when I went to try to sign back, and that's the only reason I came back down here more permanently and ended up meeting Dana was because wow. when I tried to sign back up online, there was an issue. So I went back up to school and tried to sign in in person. And they said, you have open court cases. You, you can't register right now. Oh, my God. I didn't now, if I would have been on probation, I'm good. Or if it was 
resolved resolved but wow. but ahead That's of crazy. time yeah they they wouldn't let me yeah so i mean i i got clean shortly after that as bad as people thought i was at the time like there was so much more of my addiction that i was hiding even from you and other people and people kind of knew yeah, and the like crack. yeah <laughs> the, the, the crack it's like hold on this motherfucker was up till two in the morning but but now he's calling me at 9 a.m talking about we need oxy and yeah. it, it, it wasn't because he really wanted the oxy it's because he had to come to fuck down yeah. off the crack like, yeah. yeah i remember i remember you being like what <laughs> nobody was smoking crack yeah i'm like what the and you're telling me what it smells like and shit and i'm like i don't even know yeah you're like what i remember you just being like burnt mustard that was your that was your <laughs> that was your description you know, like, I, burnt mustard. I remember like, oh my god what i can't even imagine that i remember you being like I've never even seen that shit before. <laughs> and just being like, bro, like, like, I know, whatever. I know. It's such a shocker, too, because so. I spent a lot of time in the hood. You yeah. I think that would have been something that <laughs> came, up. came up. But honestly, though, coming back to my addiction, I was never really, I, I never got into pills or coke or anything until. I was in active addiction. When mm -hmm. I went to college, I had not even tried cocaine. Wow. Like, and, and the first time I ended up doing coke was crazy. It was two of these girls that I had the biggest crushes on in high school, right? And in college, I started becoming a bigger player, moving stuff around. And somebody said, oh, uh, one of my homegirls is going to give you a call. She, she needs some blow. Mm -hmm. and, and my guy, I had a guy up there that could still get yeah. it because I would hook him up. So... I go, I get it, and I find out who it is, and it ends up being these two girls. And mm -hmm. I show up immediately. They're shocked that it's me, and I'm shocked that it's them. Mm -hmm. These are girls that I, like, adored in high school mm -hmm. that I could have never pulled. Now they're talking about, like, oh, you've never done it. I'm telling them, like, I don't do it. They yeah. ask me to stay and hang out. I'm like, nah. They're like, you won't do it off my tits or my ass? I'm like, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. So, you know, I stayed. Yeah, I did coke off a coke girl's experience. pits once, and it never happened ever again. <laughs> it, it, it was one of those situations, because I had never done coke before, it totally fucked my fuck game. Yeah. So, so it really, like, I don't feel like I laid the pipe the proper way. Yeah. They might see it differently. I've never <laughs> asked them about it, but it, it, it was never my thing. Yeah. It was never my thing. And drugs in general were more just of a social thing for me. Like, it wasn't I'd sit at home all the time, mm -hmm. other than pot, but, like, nobody when I was hanging out and partying, would sit at home and just get high. Now, in my horrible addiction, all I wanted to do was sit in my room alone with a full fucking needle and yeah. hang out and watch History Channel. <laughs> you know what was sad scene was um, your mug shots. Because oh, I remember God. there were so many of them. It's a progression. It's like literally you can see addiction take yeah, you hold. Could see, it's, and, it's like one of those billboards. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? It starts here and then at the end. The, the, the great thing about that, though, is you get to see the end picture mm -hmm. because not everybody has that luxury. For there, sure. There's so many people that started that cycle. Mm -hmm. And then that last horrible is shot it? is the last one they have. Yeah, that's it. And to me, I see the picture of my release date from prison mm -hmm. and I am damn proud that that's yeah. what it came to because the skinny 120 pound junkie that went in came out at 184 pounds mm -hmm. with motivation and a strength that can only come from something of that kind of tragedy well seeing on the outside looking in i remember like people that we know telling me about them as a joke like look at this other arrest and i remember being angry like bro just because this person has this addiction like one jeremy would whoop all your asses <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> two you would never say this in front of this motherfucker's face right yeah. now because I, I remember thinking like bro if he was staying he, right here i had he, a lot of friends like that if you were if he was standing right here you'd be like yo what's up jeremy good to see you like you know and that's why like like i remember trying to get you to go to meetings and like trying to help you and like all this stuff and like 
it's so infuriating to see. It's easy to point and laugh from an ivory tower and be like, oh, yeah, you know, look at this fuck up, you know, whereas like I know that you're probably smarter than all these people fucking talking shit. The thing that I've learned in in learning how to be humble, and, and that takes a lot, too, because somebody with so much pride, humble is on the opposite yeah. end of the spectrum. Somebody talking shit about you only occurs on one dynamic. Nobody that's doing better than you or working harder mm-hmm. than you talks shit about you. Mm-hmm. They don't have time or, yeah. or the place or the presence or, or even the priority to put mm-hmm. you there. Yeah. If somebody's talking shit about you, the first thing you have to know is they're doing it from a lower position. Mm-hmm. If they're talking shit, it's because you have something they want or you're achieving something that they can't. It, it comes from a jealousy and mm-hmm. it comes from a, an inadequacy. It's, it's mm-hmm. an internal thing. But I can respect somebody that talks shit as long as they're willing to own it mm-hmm. when said shit is put in their face. Yeah. If your dog craps somewhere and I pick it up in a bag and stick it in your nose and you tell me that ain't your dog's shit, I'm going to shove it down your throat. <laughs> yeah. If I walk up to you with said shit and you accept responsibility or even try to apologize, then that changes everything. For sure. In addiction, we don't, when we're in an active addiction, we do not apologize for our actions because mm-hmm. they all suit the purpose of our addiction. Mm-hmm. When you look back on it, that's where you And grow. owning it is the beginning process of ending it. So it's like, yeah. if you don't think you're going to end it, why would you own it? So yep. it's just like, lie, 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 you know? Denial is the longest river in Egypt <laughs> for a reason. Yes, sir. I remember just seeing, like, your demise and just being like, yeah, fuck. Like, you know, because well, it's like, and I remember... Dude, I remember the sound of your truck coming to pick me up <laughs> was triggering. Because I remember this yeah. one time. I was, you already know what's about to happen. Yeah, I remember um, I was a couple months clean and we were going to go to a meeting. And you were just going to the meeting so you could get like a paper to show yeah. that you went to the meeting. And I remember like going. And I remember when the truck turned down my street and me walking outside, I was like, fuck, this isn't a good idea. I shouldn't be hanging out with Jeremy. Trying to get away from your friends is the hardest part about getting clean because it's like as much as someone wants to say, oh, your drug friends aren't really your friends. I was like, bro, this motherfucker picked me up in the fucking Everglades. But that, that multiple times answer the phone like and this might not seem a big deal when you're sick and someone fronts you a sub. Oh, yeah. They're your they're your your savior. It's almost <laughs> yeah. like somebody stopping the bullet from hitting your heart. Yeah. Like you you put it in a perspective. Be through your addiction mm-hmm. to where what you see is literally the savior when mm-hmm. really it's an enabling person mm-hmm. but it makes me want to go back and 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 just pretty much bring it to how it came mm-hmm. to what we were just talking about and when i went through all that legal trouble and couldn't go back to college i ended up moving back in with my parents and that's pretty much where our mm-hmm. relationship will start i started dating a friend of mine's friend a girl that i was in college with we we like hit it off i mean when you'd see us in public socially, it was completely awkward. She was six foot tall. <laughs> I five, seven on a good day with a good pair of shoes, you know, maybe 145 pounds. Mm-hmm. She just was that type of person that fit my personality at the time. Mm-hmm. We were both trying to just hang out and have a good time. It turned into something good. And especially in the beginning, because she had this position on the pills and did not want me doing them and did not want anything to do with them. Mm-hmm. Now, once I started doing them more and she started finding out, her willingness to try to help me turned into her addiction because mm-hmm. she would say, oh, instead of you doing two, give me one. Mm-hmm. Do less, you know. But it yeah. ended up creating an addict mm-hmm. in its own right. So when I got clean, what happened after that? That was uh, 2008. So 
because up until that point, no one was really shooting up. And I remember Roxy's were, were becoming $12, $14, $15. And yeah. people started to do well, when I had met you, When I had met you, it was on the down. I had already been in the game for like two years. Mm -hmm. And I had already gone through the doctor shopping and the, you know, mass quantities mm -hmm. of the of stuff. I'd already been through the, the legal... And when I met you, it was when things were starting to tighten up. I had doctors and then we had scripts even. Like mm -hmm. I remember one of the first things we were doing together was trying to fill scripts yeah. because I had these scripts and we couldn't, I couldn't fill afford to, to fill them yeah. or I couldn't find a place to do it. Mm -hmm. And and so that's where we started. And, and then what drove the addiction into the place, I'm pretty sure that caused you to quit was when it got to the point where we just couldn't get shit. There, there was a period there where it didn't matter what we did. Yeah. I mean, I remember driving to Port St. Lucie and Vero Beach yeah, and they were hard Miami. There, yeah. there were times that it just was almost impossible. And the money was like... Price went up like yeah, exponentially crazy. as well. And then and to we the point where people... And when you're using your own product, I mean, yeah. Biggie said it best, man. You just can't. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. I remember. Uh, you get high on your own supply. Yeah, because I remember getting like 12 with you. And then I would do like nine. Mm -hmm. And you would just look at me and be like, this is why you're dope sick all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like two, two, three at a time. Now, obviously, when I would get it in scripts, worse. like, yeah. but that's where the addiction takes you is, is mine started as what I was comfortable with and what was socially acceptable. I started popping them. And mm -hmm. then when I saw people snorting them, I started snorting them. And then when I had a good friend that I saw shooting them, mm -hmm. that was the thing that broke the camel's back because mm -hmm. now this person I respected and admired is telling me he's doing the most junky thing that I had in my brain at the time. Mm -hmm. And the first time I shot up, I didn't even do it myself. I had to, like, turn yeah. my head away and, you know, let him do it. It was, like, a completely new experience. That's why I tell people, if you've never shot up and you're in active addiction, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Because, honestly, you can't handle how good it is. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what kills you in your, you know, addiction. Of course. And I remember getting clean, and that was, like, my biggest thing was, like, like missing this gravy train of, like, IV drug use. Because when I was using I remember being in the car with people and being like, let's go shoot up. And people would be like, get the fuck out of my car. We're not shooting up. Yeah. And I remember being like, we could get needles. I know how to break it down. And people, everybody was like, no. And then yep. I got clean, and I'm hearing, like, so-and-so shooting up, so-and-so yep. shooting up. And then you hear about everybody that was <clears throat> judging you doing yeah. the same stuff. And I was like, what? Yep. And it totally makes you look at things like, but it gives you perspective at the same mm -hmm. time. Like, my addiction, all of that was to escape the pain that I put on myself due to lack of achievements. Mm -hmm. And it's because I always had so much pressure not from outside sources. Anything that ever drove me to motivate me was always self-inflicted. Mm -hmm. My parents never forced me to succeed in school. They never forced me to be athletic. I was on the wrestling team. I was on the football team. I had a nickname in ninth grade that, you know, killed it in school. Who would, if you're five foot seven and your nickname's Moose, the first thing people are going <laughs> to ask is why. You can innuendo the size of your cock. That's all, always a good way to go with it. But, I mean... <laughs> they immediately think you're six foot five and 280 yeah. I had two girls one time talking about the weed they were smoking and how good it was and how they got it from merch. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm standing right in front of these girls and K-Rod is there yeah. and I'm like, oh yeah, has he got good shit? What do you know about him? They're like, well, I heard he's like six foot and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dang, man, this is like Hercules story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what if I told you that I'm him? Yeah. They're like, no, you're not tall enough. You're not this, you're not that. I'm like, well, I can show you my driver's license. And then they see that, well, that doesn't mean you're merch. I'm like, my last name is Merchant. Yeah. 
like merchant, but that just shows you the way people are, and and that feeds the addiction too, the ego, the ego and and, yeah. and the the being the man that I come yeah. back to it all the time. That's yeah. always my complex. Yeah, there's this speaker who always says, you know, as a active addiction, an active addiction, I was concerned with being the man and not a man. Yeah, that you know? that's a true statement too. And like my whole childhood, I remember being in sixth grade and just wanting to be the man, just yep. always wanting to be the kid with the with the. I didn't weed develop it until I realized how that feeling was. Once I got into high school, I I started getting more attention mm -hmm. and developing and getting girlfriends and things like that. I mean, I I have a hell of a freaking. Mm -hmm list i yeah. i had a girlfriend from high school that happens to be in the ufc right now i mean wow. she's just an amazing person and the things that i've been through that developed me into what mm -hmm. i was i tried to get clean a couple times i mean i've been to treatments i've been to rehabs most of them you were either sneaking me pills out yeah. the back or or <laughs> dana or <laughs> you know there, there was never that full commitment i never fully committed as a matter of fact not mm -hmm. to any of the attempts at, at sobriety I always had in the back of my mind reservations. I always had that thought that, oh, I can do it one more time. Mm -hmm. that's, that's always a bad one. Eventually, I started doing really bad things. I mean, I was... Yeah, going, what happened in those years after I had gotten clean? Well, after clean? you got clean, this, this is where it goes. Mm -hmm. Like, I pretty much started getting to the point where I couldn't afford my habit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I was working a job, but now I'm robbing houses. I'm doing all sorts of horrible things, and... Friends, I'm robbing friends, I'm robbing family, anybody that I can take advantage of for a fix mm -hmm. or to get my rocks off. Then on top of that, it's getting harder to get. So you switch to heroin, I'm doing things like driving down, you know, Fort Lauderdale at two in the morning to, to cop and... Mm -hmm. It just started getting really bad, and then things between me and my girlfriend started getting bad, and then finally she got to the point after a, a whole bunch of stints in jail... She decided to get clean, and she told me, like, I can't be with you. Mm -hmm. I have to focus on myself. And I was really spiteful, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, if you love me, then we can figure it out together or something like that. But mm -hmm. I hate to acknowledge this, too, because I'll talk shit about it later. Yeah. But the 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 quality of N.A., where they the steps where they ask you to focus on yourself— mm -hmm is a double-edged sword because sometimes it gives you the perspective that you can insult and, and be mean to other people because it benefits you mm -hmm. when really that's not what it means. But at the same time, it gives you that ability to focus on what you've been lacking in yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, the misappropriation of that actual thing gives me problems mm -hmm. later on. But at the time, her choosing to do that, I did not respect it. I did not acknowledge it. And looking back on it, I really see that as the bravest thing that girl ever did. Of course. She was trying to draw yeah. a boundary and try not to enable. Yes. And you saw it as like, you don't love me. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. I was selfish. And, yeah. and that's what a lot of addiction comes down to is, is the selfishness of it. And that's what propagates it and makes you continue to mm -hmm. be an addict. Once you put yourself aside and start viewing other people's views, it allows you to see more of yourself as well. Mm -hmm. She left me. Uh, I ended up catching more charges and then having to get on house arrest. So I'm fighting this case. I'm on house arrest. I get on Facebook. I end up hooking up with a girl that I had dated when I was like 13, 14, mm -hmm. knew her from peewee football. Three, four months into the relationship, she's pregnant. I'm on house arrest. She has a brilliant idea that I should move out and we should get our own place. And it was too much for my new recovery. I had mm -hmm. gotten clean for like seven, eight months. Okay. And then I relapsed and then I was just testing the system. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm the guy that gets caught with a fake dick in court <laughs> because I had sold or a white one to a black guy <laughs> and he got caught using it. 
And that's the type of person I was. I was manipulating everything, every situation. I had always had an angle or an outcome. I mean, I even talked my way out of it when mm-hmm. when the judge pulled it or when they pulled it out in court. I ended up only doing two days in jail and they reinstated everything because just I always had an angle. Mm-hmm. My dad used to say I had a rabbit's foot up my ass and mm-hmm. my mom would counter and say I had the whole damn rabbit. <laughs> but eventually that runs out. And my daughter was born and I had been in full active addiction again and I ended up using my little brother's pee at court. I had already opened plea. They had a structured sentence and the pee tested positive for amphetamines Wow! because of a pre-workout. Yeah, so your brother gave you yeah. urine and yeah. that urine tested yeah, positive. Yeah, and it ended up testing positive. And, and so they locked me back up and then the judge changed the whole agreement. I got sentenced to 10 years in prison with mm. a one-month-old daughter. That's when everything changes. I mean, I've done some crazy things. We could talk for hours about all the people I've robbed, mm-hmm. all the mistakes I've made, all the fights I've been I in. I remember being clean and getting blamed for your robberies oh, because yeah. we were always together. Oh, yeah. So I remember I had six months clean, and someone was like, yo, like, what's his name is going to whoop your ass? And I remember being like, who? And they were like, yeah, this kid got robbed like two pounds of weed. And I was like, <laughs> Andy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking duck. I remember being like, I remember being like, bro, I'm, I'm clean. I don't even rob people anymore. And they were like, nah, we know yeah. you and Merch are always together. And I remember being like... Like, this time, it really wasn't me. And I remember people being like, he's going to fucking fuck you up. I don't even know who this kid was. was a joke. More bark than bite. (laughs) Yeah, and nothing ever happened to me. You know what I mean? Nah, he ran up on me a couple times and just never did anything. But I've gotten a... Yeah, most people don't I remember robbing people straight to their face and literally, like, just telling them, I'm taking this. You're not getting And you're not doing anything about it. And they'll just get in their car and leave. Like Or call you a hundred times. Like, bro, why'd you do that? Yeah, or the voicemail. Those are the best baby gangsters that Mm -hmm. watch too much MTV and thought they're living the life because they got mommy and daddy's money when they Mm -hmm. don't realize there's stuff that you can really lose because of this. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've robbed a cop in my addiction. Wow. Dana had a guy that... North Miami PD, mm-hmm. and and he was copping pills, and I was serving him up. And then finally, I'm like, why do I need to do this? He's giving me $500 right now. Come find me. Yeah. Catch me outside. Yeah, I remember um, we would rob people twice. And, like, when you rob someone once. Oh, yeah. God, that's the worst. When you get hit somebody. Remember that one dude we hit, like, four times, yeah. that redhead guy? I was like, you get him, then me get him, and then I got him again. And then I'm like, he's like, no. I, I, I was like, no, like, I'm going to make it up to you right now. Yeah. Let me get the money. I'll give you double. And he just, oh, God. Yeah, we robbed this one kid four And then times. they call you back, and they're like, please, just give me something after yeah. you Did robbed Did you really like, do that? Yeah, like, I remember I, all my voicemails were of people I, we had robbed, and we're just like. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to show up to your house. I know where you live. Yeah, I know. No one ever did anything. But there was that one time that those two kids, I remember you had helped me do it, but then you were home and they showed up at my house Mm -hmm. and and they're knocking on the door and my dad answers and my dad was fed up with the shit. So like literally he's like, oh, he did that? I'll go get him right now. He comes and brings me outside and tells me in the front yard to square up with these two dudes. Wow. And he's telling them, you all can go at one, all at once or one at a time. He says, I don't care. I'm just going to make sure this shit ends all right. And he's got a baseball bat. Oh my, my mom's God. at the door. He's yelling at her to stay inside. And I proceed to lace these two dudes up because I had just gotten fucked up. I didn't mm-hmm. feel no pain anyway. Wow. And we're going at it. And, and. The whole time I'm thinking like Brian's sitting at home getting high and I'm dealing with this shit. I'm dealing with this shit right now. Yeah. But uh, oh my god, I remember you robbed me when I was going to Orlando. Yeah, oh my god, <laughs> I was so I totally remember that. I knew you were gonna rob me. I remember being <laughs> you so... even said that to me before. You're like, you're not gonna rob me, are you? I'm like, nah. 
See you in a week. <laughs> yeah. I'll get you back. It's not uh, a robbery. I was borrowing it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I'll do respect when I came back, you got me. Yeah. I mean, and that's how it always was. There were times where you'd yeah. be like, oh, let me get the money. I got, you know, I'm going to go get this. And then I don't get it till like 2 30 the next day yeah. in the afternoon. But we always did. We right always had it. But, but that's where it comes into a different level of respect that we had. Yeah. 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 Anybody else, we were there's like, there's not many druggy relationships that go like everyone that. else. You're like, you're a duck. You ain't going to yeah. do nothing. You're I a saw you more bitch. as a little brother to where, like, yeah. you could, you could beat up on him and be mean to a certain extent but fuck around and let anybody else fuck with him you're gonna handle it and at the same time you can only do so much to that person you know what's acceptable you get a code Uh and a guideline and i remember i got on a car chase clean yeah i remember getting i remember being and like and like people don't understand like when you get clean it's not like you just get clean and like your old life just like goes away yeah that's the hardest thing bro i remember being at gas stations and I used to have to go to a gas station and circle around because I was scared of who was pumping gas there. Towards the end, like, bro, we had robbed some fucking Yeah, people. I've been ran up on at a gas station, man. Yeah. My, my brother Rob, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> friends with him like crazy right now. He's an amazing person, and he's in N.A., and he runs it. Like, he's, wow. he's got a kid. He's doing real good. Mm-hmm. But at one point, we were both in the, in the game, yeah. and... At a gas station. I remember I had just gotten slocked by Dana. She hit me twice. We were talking smack. I was being, I was already messed up. I was belligerent that night. And then after getting hit by her twice, this dude runs up on me at a gas station Uh and just slugs me. I'm like, oh my God. And, and, you know, (laughs) it's it's part of the way it goes. But my incarceration Mm -hmm. was uh, a a life-changing thing Mm -hmm. because sobriety is hard enough on your own. Mm-hmm. Getting sober is uh, a mental mountain followed by a river of regret. Mm-hmm. So so once you get over that hump of cleaning yourself out, it takes about a year for my body for sure. to, to be back to, to feeling physically able mm-hmm. again. So so I went through that process. And especially when you go to prison, I mean, people don't really understand. It's not a safety net, especially for drugs. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's a springboard into the guy that's got what you want is too bunks down or two doors down Mm -hmm. there's a premium there's gangs involved there's a lot more danger to it i mean if you cop if you somebody gives you some stuff on the front on the street you got a lot of angles to get away from Mm -hmm. them you know what i mean you can even go out of state you can totally disappear if you want to and most people aren't going to chase you for a couple hundred bucks for a honey bun and a bag of cheetos you will get stabbed in prison the drugs when i went in were the k2 primarily Mm -hmm. which is way more dangerous than people really ever Probably mm-hmm. got the grasp on on the outside. The flock has started getting bad. But even on top of that, uh, there's guards bringing in heroin and cocaine mm-hmm. and alcohol. I got into that life. I mean, the addiction doesn't leave you. So even though I was clean at first and I, and I had been schooled on the ways, I mm-hmm. mean, the first thing they teach you if you listen to the old school guys mm-hmm. in there is you don't fuck with the gangs, you don't fuck with the gays, and you don't fuck with the the gambling. If you stay away from that, it's all pretty much on you just carrying yourself as a man and Mm -hmm. not being disrespected and not disrespecting other people. Mm -hmm. They'll leave you alone. There's a real hardcore code in there. Coming from my background, I was tough enough to do what I had to do, but I was small. So you got to be smart. You use your addictive tendencies and traits. All the things you end up looking back on as negative qualities end Mm -hmm. up being your strengths when you're in there. Yeah, Coming to grips with being clean. And then still doing the wrong thing, that's that's what changed it. If I had any less time, I was sentenced to 10. I was only supposed to be sentenced to 5. When did you make the decision in prison to stop using? And <laughs> oh, why? Man. I was running wild in there. I was getting in fights. I was uh, dealing with the guards, selling cigarettes and, and other contraband. And then finally I got caught because I broke one of the rules the old schools had told me mm-hmm. is don't be the guy everybody's looking at. Don't try to be the man, which was my number one flaw. Be the man syndrome is mm-hmm. my 
<laughs> my MO. And uh, I got cased up under uh, direct threat to institutional security because where I was at, I was able to go from the, the minimum custody unit to the max unit. And mm-hmm. they said that's bad. So they transferred me into a maximum custody camp. I was in the box for almost four months, five months. For people that don't know, what's the box The like? box is solitary or confinement. I mean, you can have a cellmate in there. Mm-hmm. I was at a transit unit, so there was usually a cellmate coming in and out. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, they'd stay for a day and then get transferred. It's like, what, 23 hours in? Oh, no, you're in there all day. You're only out twice a week, and that's for showers. Yeah, you get out where I was at. It was Tuesday night and Thursday night, and your shower time was dependent on where you were at in the cell. How long is your shower time? The shower time is five minutes, but you got to wait for everybody to go. So you got to be on ready for them to pop your doors. But at the same time, you have to stay awake. Sometimes I would be waiting up all day and shower at 1 in the morning just to shower because— even if you're just laying there, there's no AC. I was in South Florida. Yeah, when my boy did the podcast, when he told me that there's no AC, it like blew my mind. You could go to a private camp. There's a couple it's that crazy. have it. Or if you go up north, they have controlling air controlling because they have to have heat. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, where I was at, it's a sweat box. You figure oh out God. how to make you make parasails with the sheets oh to try God. to direct the air coming through this little slat of a window that's coated with dust and dirt and you know, all bunch of crap mm-hmm. and you sadly as an addict you can adapt you you become adaptable and and when i got in there at a certain point after that experience i decided that you know i have a daughter i did when i got in trouble i lost visitation mm-hmm. so i didn't get to see her for a while and it makes you really change your value system and and i started looking at things a lot differently and my sobriety had not been directly enforced. I mean, I was getting high on K2 when I was in there. Mm-hmm. I was doing different things. But when I finally committed to quit everything, I mean, cigarettes are in there. I was mm-hmm. smoking cigarettes. When I finally quit smoking and quit doing shit, I started focusing more on myself and putting together a plan. I mean, I, I, I had extensive experience with meetings in there and working the steps and doing the programs and stuff, different forms. I knew I was not going to have that sort of ability to just conform to the system of NA or Mm -hmm. I mean the steps because it wasn't really what worked for me. When I got into work release, uh, yeah. So you remember that I used to bring a meeting. Yeah, away? yeah, and and that's what I it was crazy too is because I, I I'm in prison. We hadn't seen each other in forever, and my personality and your personality being the way they are, people that knew us indirectly from each mm-hmm. other knew that we knew each other. Mm-hmm. And then when that ended up happening, and and people came to me, you had told your story, and people come to me as I'm coming in from work saying, "Oh, this guy was here, and he was talking about somebody. Was that you?" <laughs> and it's a small world, you know, yeah. but. That was our reconnection. Yeah, because I remember I had always done like rehabs and jails and prisons or whatever. And I used to go to this this work camp all the time. And I remember people telling me like, bro, Jeremy's in here. And I remember being like, what? And they were like, yeah, like I think you were getting out or you were getting in when I like stopped the commitment. But I yeah, remember no, like, I was about to get out and you had only been there a couple of times. But I was yeah. working every time you, yeah. would, you would be there. Bringing the meetings. That's cool. Yeah. It had an effect on the value that people put on things. When mm-hmm. when you get everything taken away, first you blame the person that told on you. You blame yeah. the system. You blame everyone but yourself. And, and once I was able to just reflect on things and start taking an inventory of all the, the faults and flaws that I really had, I was able to evaluate myself mm-hmm. on a different level. I was able to put myself in a position to accept responsibility for things and to admit to myself that regardless of what I blame it on, the choices were still mine. Mm -hmm. That 
form of acceptance. I'm not saying I'm a perfect person, man. I, I'm still an asshole. I mm -hmm. do dumb shit. I'll still get in a fight if you say the wrong thing to me. <laughs> uh, I, I have that pride aspect. I'm, I'm very uh, defensive of women. I mean, I, I have a moral code. But at the same time now, I weigh a lot more consequences. I, I weigh the value of pride in my choices. Addiction, yeah, it's, it's, addiction it's brings hard, you to the lowest. You it's know? hard to be like clean and being like, am I being like a bitch? Yeah. Or, yeah, or, well, that's or, a hard, hard thing too, especially when you try to establish yourself as a hard ass. Yeah, it's like, am I being a bitch right now or should I just let this slide? Yeah. Is this being a man yeah. not getting putting hands on somebody, not saying something slick yep. or or whatever. And like sometimes like in recovery, I'm like, you know, like I'm getting really soft. And like, honestly, when I first got clean, I like really fell into that. And like there was people who would meet me and not think I was violent, angry, and asshole at all. And, they, and, and when I tell people like, dude, when I was using, I was like a real scumbag. People are like, what? Like people think of this picture of like, oh, yeah. when I was using, I was like, yeah. just like this quiet kid on drugs. Like, bro, I've I told bad. girls, I've, I've met random girls that I, when I started dating again, yeah. I'm like drinking a little bit. I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, just a heads up. I'm, I'm the worst person you've ever met. Yeah. Honestly, like, I'm going to tell you that heads up. You try to scare them away. You know, yeah. the party is trying to sound tough. The, yeah. the ones that stay are the ones you probably shouldn't be with. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, but you use that to, to try to defend yourself mm -hmm. because you know what you're capable of. Yeah, and even though you like even being clean, like people don't see that other side of you, and it's always there. Yeah, like that that dark person and that like evil person, whatever you want to call it, is always on a shelf. I really started to like spend a lot of time by myself. I started to develop friendships around people that weren't aggressive because I didn't like being around other aggressive males because it made yeah. me want to be more aggressive than them. It stimulates your yeah. inhibition to so, to be the group. So I started to like not want to be around a lot of guys that were like real alpha male -y. And yeah. I started hanging out with like a group of girls when I first got clean. I didn't have to be, you know, macho yeah. or whatever. You know what I mean? And like a smart angle. And, yeah. I didn't have that option. There were no girls. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like when I first got clean, like I really would practice being nice because like I almost felt like I couldn't be nice. I was like, what's wrong with my personality where I don't know how to be nice? And it would be a total stranger. I'd be like, why can't I just be nice to someone? Like, I would meet somebody and just say something fucked up to them. Being mean was was my substitute at first. Yeah. You know how people get clean and they mm -hmm. caffeine and they, they transfer the addiction, you know what I mean? They go mm -hmm. to chocolate or caffeine or eating. In prison, I started fighting a lot mm -hmm. because that adrenaline... Yeah, it was it was it was the the thing whether I won or lost. Mm -hmm. You know, it, sometimes I was getting in fights that I shouldn't even be in because mm -hmm. I was just trying to get that high. That's part of getting clean, where you you do feel like you're still being a bitch and yeah. being in there. It it gives you a whole lot to 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 look back on because there is nothing but time, mm -hmm. and and you are in your own head most of the time. I I tell people all the time I've never been surrounded by so many people and felt so alone. Yeah. And you can only understand that statement. It just just like also, it's 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 a lot harder getting out than going into prison. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand that because once you're in prison, you have no responsibilities. There's nobody that depends on you except you. Your your time is what you do with it. There's mm -hmm. nothing really expected of you. It it, it makes you be your own person. Uh, a lot of my motivation now. I carry a, a code and a system because I am not completely sober. I, I drink. I drink socially. I drink mm -hmm. frequently. I mean, two, three times a week mm -hmm. at night. And then once a week, I have no problem going a little overboard, mm -hmm. sitting in my living room, watching football yeah. or uh, hanging out with my girl mm -hmm. or taking the kid to the park. And it, it, it works into my life. And it works because 
in my active addiction, I let my self-control and, and my will be totally taken from me. Mm -hmm. When you're a strong person, as I thought I was, mentally, I could always succeed when I put myself to it. Physically, I was never held back. When you break yourself mentally, when you realize that you can't do something without mm -hmm. that drug, when it becomes so nece necessary for you to function and live, you break yourself when you're that type of person because you no longer have that self-confidence of achievement. You no longer mm -hmm. have that ability to deep dig deep down and say, I can overcome this. You get broken. And, and going through what I went through gave me that extra strength. Not everybody can do it. Mm -hmm. they're, 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 and I'm not saying I'm special or I work and, harder or and anything. And just getting out of the system. I mean, statistically, yeah. people that have been locked up multiple times. 76% was the average recidivism rate when uh, I was released. I was released uh, August 16th, 2016. Mm -hmm. it, what was getting out like? Getting out was like starting over after a video game reset. Mm. You know how you get so far on a level sometimes, but mm -hmm. then you die and it puts you back. To like the first, first, Yeah, first yeah, level. wherever the last save point was, you know. <laughs> so, so you get out. Physically, everything's changed. I mean, visually, when you see things, that trips you out. But even worse off relationships change people you expect to be excited to see you don't want to talk to you at all mm -hmm. or have moved on with their lives or never really cared about you to begin with so you being gone didn't even affect them mm -hmm. and that's what the hardest part about getting out was it was having such high expectations to show off all the things that i had done to myself physically i came out a specimen i mean mm -hmm. i was working out three four hours a day bench pressing almost 400 pounds like mm -hmm. it, it was just insane and I was really ready to show off, look, I'm a good guy again. Mm -hmm. And and nobody wanted to be with me. Nobody wanted to see me. People didn't answer calls. And and that was a big shocker. And and in my weaker moments would have led back to a relapse or, or mm -hmm. addiction. Leaned heavier on family and devoting my time responsibly. I worked out a lot more whenever I would get angry and upset with something I would normally go to using over. I would work out. Mm -hmm. I transferred my activity time and my idle mind. In in my addiction, the most dangerous point in my life was when I was in my own head. Mm -hmm. All the things I've accomplished, all the dangerous stuff I've done, all the tension and turmoil and disaster, it all, looking back, is a fun story to tell, and it's entertaining, mm -hmm. and people will choose to believe or not believe, but it it was a journey. And that journey led me to a place that I'm really thankful to be in because I, I, I was thinking about driving down here. I was like, uh, hell has an exit. I was thinking about that as, as a name. And I was thinking to myself self that uh, it also has a price. Mm -hmm. You know, you get into hell pretty much free. Yeah. Nobody thinks about what it costs. If uh, you even look back at stories about making mm -hmm. a deal with the devil, you never have to pay anything up front. So you get in, and once you're in hell, you get everything you wanted plus more. Yeah. And that more is what makes it unmanageable. Mm -hmm. But the exit, as, as simple as it always seems, they tell you, oh, just stop using, you know, just, yeah. just change this, just change that. It's going to cost you more than what you agreed to, to yeah. get out. Mm -hmm. You'll agree to anything to yeah. have what you and, want. And you'll think like, well, I'll just give up the shit that I wanted. I don't even want yeah. it anymore. And then the devil is like, no, we want it all. 
You know what there, I mean? There's like, a sacrifice you know? because yeah. in, in the steps, you give up a lot of who you really are mm -hmm. to achieve what is better for you as a person, right? Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes that might be physically better for you, but sometimes it's not socially better. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you alienate people that really care about you. Sometimes your devotion to take care of you mm -hmm. puts people that still need you for sure aside. And you're right. Your, your sobriety and yourself is the most important. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't give you the right to put yourself above people that were putting themselves out there for you. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen people get into the steps and the system and turn on people mm -hmm. that were there for them genuinely. For sure. Because this person feels they can't make their life work mm -hmm. under your standards. I had, a, I had a close person that I was really close with that when she got clean, she wouldn't hang out with me unless it was at an NA thing. And mm -hmm. I wasn't going to an NA thing. I was still getting fucked up. I'm yeah. <laughs> It, it, it was it was a strain on the relationship on both ends because she immediately thought that I didn't care enough to be there. And I immediately thought, you're a pussy. You can't see me at Starbucks instead yeah. of freaking an mm -hmm. NA meeting. It, it came down to what she needed for her, but mm -hmm. it also gave me perspective into what wouldn't work for me. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. I'm not going to turn on the people that are there for me. I don't care if you're a junkie right now. If you mm -hmm. were that guy that was my junkie and you don't affect me and I know I can't change what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. I'll accept that you're there for me. I'm for not sure. gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put myself in a position to get fucked up yeah. with you. But at the same time, I'll you call me needing help. Yeah. I promise you, I'll be there. Even if the needle's still in your arm, I'll be mm -hmm. the one to pull it out and pick you up and make it okay. Mm -hmm. And and all the downfalls of of my life put me in a position that I'm in now. Being a functional addict, which mm -hmm. is like a textbook definition, yeah. but that is what I am. I, mm -hmm. I'm still addicted to drinking. But mm -hmm. it's not the alcohol I'm addicted to. It's the release. Mm -hmm. It could be anything. And if it wasn't the alcohol, it would be something else. For sure. So. And, and yeah. And like, you know, when you're an addict, that that, that kind of doesn't go away. You know, like um, you're yeah. always. Gonna you rationalize. Yeah. You're always going to justify 1, and rationalize. And, and by, by a lot of books, I'm still just making excuses. But my life works. Mm -hmm. So worry about you being unhappy in, in your sobriety. Because if you're unhappy and sober, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, your sobriety is not sucks. Working. Yeah, for you, sure. It sucks. thousand percent. Because there's a lot of people that get sober, they do it the yeah. right way, and they're fucking miserable. Yeah. I'm sacrificing. Mm -hmm. I am taking a chance, and I'm always open to that. Mm -hmm. But that's what life is about. For sure. You can't create a cure to something that is in your head mm -hmm. because there's always variables that are going to break it. There's no magic pill to make you not an addict. You have to figure out how to function in your own headspace. Mm -hmm. And it's just like any other disease or, or, or issue that people have. It's like, you know, some people, you know, are in a wheelchair and they choose to, you know, do the Olympics in a wheelchair. Yeah. And they choose I seen to a dude doing it. a backflip off a half pipe <laughs> on TikTok the other day. Yeah, I said, what the fuck? And he wrecked, he wrecked yeah, like a motherfucker. I'm like, I guess you're already paralyzed. <laughs> Who cares? Mm -hmm. Take the risk. And some people are like fucking, they dedicate their whole life to helping other people in wheelchairs yeah. or whatever, you know? So like everyone- And some people are fake as fuck and they do all that shit just so people <laughs> see them doing it. I've Absolutely. seen plenty of people in recovery that brag and boast and, and mm -hmm. then 10 days, 20 days, three years later, yeah. you find out about all this effed up shit yeah. they were doing and 1, you're like- percent. Like that, that's so fake. How do you look up to that? So, mm -hmm. so I look to myself. I look to the people that care about me. If the people that care about me genuinely- Mm -hmm. see me succeeding and I they're not judging me I'm not going to be extra hard on myself and I'm not going to be hard on anybody that sees it differently mm -hmm. the problem that I see in most people's recovery is the recovery they choose dictates their life mm -hmm. when you get into a system or a program and the people around you are your support system you alienate everybody else 
For sure. That's not in that group. Yeah, I know people in recovery that they won't talk to nobody that's not yeah. in recovery. You know what I mean? And like, like when I first got clean, you know, I got really dogmatic about my beliefs and I got really like... Like like a Bible thumper gets into Christianity. Yeah. And then at some point, it's like, I'm missing the whole message. Yep. You know what I mean? This is about, like, humility and being one with people and not, like, judging people. And, like, I've, I've fallen into that. Like, my first couple of years clean, you know, trying to get everybody clean. You judge think, everybody else, too, even indirectly, way. even For if sure. you don't mean it. For like, sure. you, you, you start putting yourself, and that's the problem I have with a mm-hmm. lot of recovering addicts, is they, they instead don't go to the humility. They mm-hmm. go to the... Oh, I'm sober now, so ha ha. And and don't do that. I had a lady one time at a restaurant literally tell me and my buddies that we should go outside with our pitcher of beer because she was a recovering addict sitting at the table next to us at a fucking restaurant, and I'm wrong for drinking the beer the restaurant served me because she's triggered. I'm sorry, man. Your trigger is your fucking problem. For sure. Like, if I've overcame my issue, and the first thing I said to her is, yes, I'm a recovering addict. Guess what? I used to shoot. Oxy and heroin. Mm-hmm. And guess what I don't do now? Oxy and heroin. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to enjoy my beer and you can enjoy your... And go fuck yourself. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, or don't come back. Mm-hmm. You know? Go Absolutely. to a vegan place. I'm sure they don't serve beer. For sure. What was like getting your life together? Because I'm sure like, you know, what people don't realize is like, a lot of times people look at like homeless people and are like, why don't they get a fucking job? And I always oh, tell I them. always say that. <laughs> I always say that. Every homeless person I look at, yeah. if you're under 50 and you look like you can walk and talk, I mean, I, I, I hate to say this. I saw somebody with a freaking now hiring sign mm-hmm. On yeah, one I side saw, and I the saw. back, like it was funny. on the freaking internet. I'm like, get out of here. But at the same time, like sometimes people get out of prison and they're like, you know, I'm not saying that they can't get jobs. I'm saying that it's not as easy. It wasn't. I I I got lucky that I had a good job because, in work release. Because good yeah. luck trying to rent a house with a record. Good in, luck in, trying in work to get release, I started with, with developing. Record, I started you know? developing caring about you know that sort of thing. I I ended up getting a lot of my buddies hired at the facility mm-hmm. that I was at, and the owner or the manager of the restaurant loved me when they tried to shut down the work mm-hmm. release that I was at. He wrote letters to the governor mm-hmm. and to the state to get us oh, cool. kept close so we could still work there. When the facility tried to make us not work there mm-hmm. anymore for the fact that they sold alcohol, I developed a, a plan and went and provided, you know, representation to my mm-hmm. guys. And I developed a lot, a lot of uh, leadership qualities and skills that I always possessed, but I never was selfless. Mm-hmm. And once I started putting other people's needs and mm-hmm. things, it helped with my sobriety and it also helped with me feeling better about myself mm-hmm. as a person because you hold yourself accountable sober mm-hmm. for a lot of things you did messed up and it, and it still weighs on you you even though you knew you did it for the addiction you still mm-hmm. feel bad about for it sure. anybody that doesn't is just a sociopath, a sociopath. So yeah. it, it's it's something that started changing and then i had a good job as a waiter mm-hmm. bartender i ended up screwing it up just didn't want to be there anymore mouthed off and mm-hmm. went to something else but my life always is like that i never make my own choices i get too comfortable and I'm always just happy with the middle, mm-hmm. knowing that I could do more, but I just don't always exert that effort mm-hmm. until I have to. I worked a mobile auto detailing thing, and it was hell, bro. I'm talking about Florida summer. Yeah, You're just crazy, sweating right? your ass off and and cleaning cars. And, and it made me buckle down. And then finally, like, my grandfather was about to pass away. And these are all things that would have made me relapse back mm-hmm. in the day. I mean, honestly, losing my job yeah. or my grandfather, like, fuck, yeah. that would have been immediately a fuck it, you know, signal. And I would have just gone and done whatever. He had told me, you know, that that he's proud of me. And he says the the next step is to just start my career. And he wanted me to get back mm-hmm. in automotive. And he passed away. And then one month later, there was a hurricane. And the shop down the street from where I was living with my uh, kid's mom back then ended up putting out a mass 
application thing on Zillow and I went in there and mm. the guy gave me a chance. I mean, he genuinely, awesome. he saw something in me that I really didn't even see in myself mm -hmm. at the time. And I was real nervous because to get a good job like that, there's a lot that goes through it. Being a convicted felon, you know, on paper might not end it, but in people's perspective as mine, they'll find another reason once they know. Yeah. And I was upfront with him right off the bat. I just got out. I don't have many tools. I said, I've done this a long time, but it's my passion. And he gave me a chance. And now I'm the foreman of that shop. That's awesome. This is five years later. Wow. I started at $13 an hour. Now I make well over 20 mm -hmm. and they respect me. They give me something, a sense of pride that as an addict, you don't really feel in yourself. Mm -hmm. And they gave me that and, and, and it just keeps strengthening my resolve. I mean, I'm going through shit. My, me and my girl broke up, me and my kid's mom. I cheated on her, mm -hmm. you know, after she was there for me through prison the whole time. She held it down. I made a stupid, selfish move because it's part of my addictive qualities. Mm -hmm. You know, even though I'm sober, I'm still doing dumb shit. That's just stuff you learn to work me, through. Me too. It would have created a relapse. She took my kid to North Carolina. Wow. Now I see her once every six months. It's going to go through a custody thing. But, but my sobriety isn't based on those sort of triggers anymore. My sobriety in the sense of my not going to destructive Opiates, opiates, yeah, illegal things. drugs, whatever. I, I, yeah, I'm not trying to do anything illegal. If I smoke mm -hmm. pot, guess what? I got a medical marijuana mm -hmm. card. If I'm drinking beer, guess what? They sell it at the fucking gas station. If mm -hmm. I'm not drinking with a 12 pack in the passenger seat of my car while I do 90 down I 95, kiss my ass. Mm -hmm. If I'm getting stoned in my living room at two in the morning, I'm mm -hmm. hurting the cat. Maybe, yeah. maybe he's just a little he too. He likes it. Yeah, yeah, maybe he's just chilling. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Motherfucker comes up talking about, let me lick your hand. I'm like, you don't ever talk to me. Why you only do it when I'm high? <laughs> friendly cat but, yeah you know you don't hurt nobody mm -hmm. and and you don't primarily you don't hurt yourself a, sure. a lot of addiction the the thing is people are so you think you're just doing it for fun but really you're doing it because a part of you is hurting a part mm -hmm. of you is dying when you for use sure. drugs you're it's you're filling you're, yeah you're trying to fill that hole that hole that just mm -hmm. you know the one is too many a thousand is never enough i only believe that that is true when you don't value yourself mm -hmm. the 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 one can be enough mm -hmm. when you have that value of yourself because it means more to you one is never enough when you but don't value what you are doing in life 1000 percent. you know what i want to ask you is like what would you tell somebody who's like struggling right now like if you know like because even though i'm a 12-step guy like i do want to put it out there in the universe and like yeah, yeah whatever no. that there are other ways to get clean there are ways to get your life together. Like I've had somebody ask me to be their sponsor one time. They were they were going through some stuff, going to court to mm -hmm. get custody of their daughter. His girl had OD'd, and you know, it was it was a real tricky thing. And it was a friend of my kid's mom's mm -hmm. that that was asking me like, "Oh, look, you know, you've done so well. I know you drink, I know you smoke, mm -hmm. but but this guy he he needs something different. He's not going to quit smoking. He's not going to quit." you know, drinking completely. Mm -hmm. And, and I told her he's got to get sober first. My first advice to somebody that thinks that, you know, they want to get clean, but they don't want, or they want to get off something hard, but they don't want to completely get clean. Mm -hmm. You have to get clean first. You, you can't get any sort of recovery mm -hmm. in any aspect, whether it's a mild form where you're still For using sure. recreationally or what. You can't do that unless you're clean for at least a year. I mean, you have to know what your body wants yeah. and needs. You, you have to get feel like normal again. Yeah. And then if you want to start working back into what you can do, but then you have to have somebody to watch you too. Mm -hmm. you have to, yeah, you have to have, yeah, it's just like a sponsor. You have to have somebody that says, bro, you fucking went overboard. Like, I understand you're, you're having fun. That was too much because you're never going to tell yourself that. But once you have somebody that you trust that you're going to give them that ability, you can start mitigating and becoming social again. 
again because the the number one thing addicts hate mm-hmm. and they always say well i can't do that mm-hmm. you can have one drink i can't well i couldn't either for a mm-hmm. while i couldn't have just one drink i couldn't ha- smoke a joint you know why because i would go overboard yeah i got to that point mm-hmm. and i got to that point through testing and learning what i couldn't do it's not going to work for everybody yeah the 12 steps isn't going to work for everybody for sure nothing is generic Exactly. Everyone's so, so different and complex. There is one generic answer, though. Mm-hmm. Support system. For sure. Any sort of change to your life, good or bad, is going to require a support system. When I started doing bad things, guess what? There were people supporting, supporting me hey, doing bad right things. Here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was sure. your support system. You were my support system. And there was others involved. Mm-hmm. When you start doing the right thing, it's the same thing. Nobody gets rich hanging around broke asses. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Nobody becomes a drug addict hanging around evangelists. Yeah. It is all about the company you keep. So if you want to do the right thing, put yourself around people that can control themselves mm-hmm. drinking or can control themselves smoking. Because guess what? They're going to tell you real quick when you fucking cross yeah, the line. They're going to the they're, they're be like, bro. bro. <laughs> it makes me happy to know there is another way mm-hmm. because granted, I, I'm the type of person that will drink a six pack and pass out mm-hmm. but won't take an Advil. Yeah. And it's because that Advil represents an easy answer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That Advil, it's real easy. Just pop that Advil, get rid of the pain. But that's what I did in the addiction. If I drink that six-pack, I'm going to have that headache in the morning. And, yeah. you know, that's the reminder that For you sure. probably shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. If you take that Advil, you feel better. Yeah. And then you get accustomed to the quick fix. And there's also that, like, that, you know, when you're a pill addict, like, those pills, like. It's so easy. Like That's I, what I got hooked exactly. on. Exactly. It's just, like, so similar to, ta- like, taking pills, like, when I first got clean. Like, I, w- I didn't want to take anything. Yeah. You because know? it immediately reminds you of how simple of it is to to to. I remember to end my doctor it. being like, "Why don't you take sleep meds?" I'm like, "Dude, I'm nope. gonna snort these." You know yep. what I mean? Yeah, like, you I, don't even know. You can tell me not yeah. to do it. I promise you, that's not gonna change I anything. I snorted bro. pills that said not abusable. You know? I've eaten plants that you <laughs> you just find on the side of the road. You're like, "Oh, this is growing in my thing. Let me throw it in a pot and boil it down yeah. and see if I die." Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I see the kids mm-hmm. nowadays eating Tide Pods. Yeah. I'm like, damn, bro. I'm glad there weren't Tide Pods when I was a exactly. kid. I probably would have ate that shit mm-hmm. too. One thousand. I'm pretty sure I licked a toad one time because somebody told me it would get me fucked up. Really? Like, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't always. I wouldn't let nobody see it. I mean, I'm yeah. saying it now. Mm-hmm. I feel like the statute of limitations on it, anybody uh, that can laugh at me has yeah, passed. So. Of course. Hey, well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, you too. I bro. love I you, bro. It. Like, um, you know, like seeing you get clean and sober and, and get off drugs and like like I, I do watch you like on Facebook and I see you with like your family and like working and like even though like we don't talk all the time like I see you doing good and like it really does make me feel like another kid from Davey that was hooked on blues got out I, you know? I feel exactly we've probably seen a hundred kids die yeah no you know? I mean and you keep hearing about it and, mm-hmm. and I was real upset I mean you know Josh Marshall right mm-hmm. That was a recent one, yeah. and he was in my neighborhood, and I've seen him go through good and bad, and 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 with you, it, it makes me feel proud because mm-hmm. we did come from a dark place. Yeah. We came from a very dark place, and you being as young as you were to yeah. turn it around and to be so successful and in a place of high achievement – a lot of people get jealous mm-hmm. and they they talk shit behind your back. I say go for it, bro. You Thank did you. that shit. That. You keep doing that shit. And people don't and realize like nobody thought I would get clean. <laughs> no, <laughs> and, and that's it too. I remember when Dana started telling me about it once I was locked up and shit because I caught my case. That's yeah. what really separated us. Uh-huh. You got clean. I fucked up real hard yeah. and then went into prison. Literally, yeah. it was like only a year and a half after you got clean that I went to prison. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I really... I relate to so much of what you've been through because mm-hmm. I was there and yeah. I went through it. And at the same time, I'm so proud to have seen you at yeah. that point because, like you say, mm-hmm. people see you nowadays and people see me. I, I, I ran into somebody at a Publix that 
Mm -hmm. Immediately was like, is, is that is that you? And he's like, uh, you robbed me way back. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you, you want the money back? He's like, yeah. no, no. He's just like, I never forgot that. I'm like, oh, well, glad mm -hmm. I impacted your life. Yeah. Put me on your Christmas list now. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I love you, bro. It's yeah, you great too, having you. I appreciate you coming on the show. It's man. been a blast, bro. Thank you. Anytime. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.